Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim wraps up our year-long study of the book of Matthew. We take one final look at the story of Jesus' birth and consider where do we go from here. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tim, and uh, so as a staff, on, we did a kind of staff Christmas brunch the other day, and we went around and we talked about our favorite traditions that we have around Christmas. By the way, Aaliyah Ellenboss has got my favorite tradition um, she shared uh, around Christmas. Uh, but we shared stories of like our favorite traditions, and uh, I know that you probably have family traditions that you, um, that you do, and... Uh, our family this morning, my kids woke up, and I'm covered in glitter, so I apologize if I'm sparkling. Um, it's not intentional. Uh, but we had glitter uh, wrapping paper, and we opened our presents, and that was uh, part of our tradition. Um, I say all that because you, uh, it means the world to us that you would uh, include South Harbor Church and this worship as part of your Christmas tradition. Um, I know that there's a lot of things um, that are going on right now, but that you would place worship at the center is a, a big deal. And uh, if you're visiting with us, I hope you feel at home. I hope you feel um, by the time you leave here that uh, this, uh, this group of people, I hope you find them to be as loving and as welcoming and as warm as I have discovered them to be. Um, you can help us get to know you uh, a little bit by filling out a guest card in the seat back in front of you. It looks like this. And uh, if you can take a moment, fill it out. You can do one of three things with this once you fill it out. Um, you can drop it in the offering baskets when they go by in just a moment. You can bring it back to Connecting Point, um, this, uh, the desk right out back through these doors, and we've got a small gift for you there. Or my preferred option is you can come give it to me after service, and I can uh, say hello and welcome you to our church officially. So um, if you're new with us, please fill that out. Uh, and then uh, another thing um, before we continue on, uh, We've got a labor of love that we want to gift you on Christmas, um, and so I, I mentioned it last week, but on, uh, on January 8th, we are starting a new sermon series on the book of Genesis. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Genesis, or if you only, uh, a lot of people know the first few stories of Genesis, but then kind of we lose track a little bit of the stories, uh, it is the most honest beginning of a people that you'll ever read. Uh, God's the, the people of God are really honest about their story. The pains, the struggles, the heartaches, uh, the stories in Genesis honestly are some of the most human stories. Uh, you've got um, infertility, you've got uh, child loss, you've got families who are, sh- are coming apart at the seams. It's all in there. And so um, we're going to work through those stories together and, uh, and ask the question, how does God meet us in the midst of all of our humanity? And, uh, and to accompany that, um, our labor of love. We put together a devotional. It is 33 weeks. And if you start on January 8th on the Sunday reading, um, you will be on track with us to go through Genesis as we study here on Sundays to bring this back into your homes. Our hope was uh, we don't want this just to be a, a bunch of sermons that we hear and then we leave. We really want uh, all of us to, to go home and to spend time with a spouse, a friend, uh, we designed it so that you uh, can do this with families around dinner tables, um, whatever works best for you, um, but uh, this is our gift to you. 
Um, it is about, if you're wondering on cost, we want to gift this to you. Um, and it's about $10 a book to print them. And so if you want to help us offset the cost, um, we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, if, you, if you really want to help us offset the cost and uh, underwrite the books, uh, come talk to me. Um, but otherwise, uh, please take this as a gift. Don't worry about the cost. Um, we want, um, but please use it. Please, please use it. Uh, that's January 8th. We're coming back on January 8th. All right? Um, it'll be a good time. Um, with that... Let's, uh, here's what I want to do this morning uh, on Christmas morning. Um, We, over the last uh, 13 months, we've been deep diving into the Gospel of Matthew. And when I say deep diving, I I took you into uh, the deepest weeds I know. And um, we studied archaeology and context, and we looked at map after map after map. And we talked about uh, how the Jewish people read this, uh, would read this text and some of the strategies that were written in it. Uh, we, We did a lot of that work. And uh, what I want to do this morning is something a little bit different. I want to keep things really simple. Um, really simple. I know we've got kids here, and I, I, um, I hope kids, I hope you get as much out of this as adults. I want to keep things as simple as possible this Christmas. Um, I, um, what can happen, actually, here's a little, here's a little backstory. So in uh, August of this past year, we gathered with the pastors on our preaching team where we uh, collaborate on sermon writing and all of that, and... <clears throat> We were talking about the upcoming sermon series, um, especially uh, all of the things we were learning about Matthew and how we're going to work our way towards Christmas and, and wrap up Matthew. And one of the things that we, when we got to Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day sermons, one of, I, I forget who said it, but somebody in the room said, you know, I just, I, uh, I hate even admitting this, but I struggle with the Christmas story to preach the Christmas story. And all of us were like, yeah, it is tough because it's such a familiar story. And it's one of those stories that we all know, and it's one of those stories where our heart on Christmas, it's always, it's always this, is we want you to fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's always the goal. Um, but it can be harder with a story that um, is so familiar that it can almost feel like it goes in one ear and out the other ear. Um, and, and so then what often happens in churches, to give you the weird, here's a peek into the weird psyche of a pastor. Okay, so you're then, I'm then trying to think, how do I say this in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that like catches us like so we can hear the story new? And, um, and, then, uh, and then you do that, and then the next year it's like, okay, I did that. Now I got to do that again. And, then, and, and I'm here 10 years now, so my new tricks are like gone. And, so, and what can happen is year after year you teach the story and like, okay, how do I teach it in a new way? And, um, and so the easiest thing to do then is, well, what if we just add like, Okay, we did this last year, and next year, let's do laser beams. <laughs> That'll be cool. And then, uh, then, then, then uh, we'll, we'll, we did laser beams last year, so next year, let's do smoke machines. And by the time we're done, I, I, was, I saw on Instagram the, the drummers that are suspended and floating through the air in church. I mean, it, it's cool. Um, but, but it can kind of feel like production. Um, it, if we're not careful, uh, it can all kind of just feel like I, every once in a while... Um, I have this sense that I wonder if Jesus were to walk into his birthday party, if he would actually want to be there, if it's just production, because Jesus entered the world in the most humble way possible. Uh, and so we thought, uh, as pastors, we, we talked about this and said, what if we just strip it all back? And what if we, um, we get to the heart of the message and we hear it together, and just maybe a couple reflections on the message and uh, and we allow the story of God coming among us to place itself at the center of us. So with that, I want to offer two short reflections. Uh, we'll, I'll, do, I'll share one, and then we will do a couple more songs, and then I'll share another one, short reflections. But before we do that, 
I want to read to you the Christmas story. Um, uh, however, however you best uh, hear a story, um, for me, I like to shut my eyes when I listen to a story because I can then picture it. Uh, maybe for you, you want to follow along on the screen um, or read it in your Bible. Uh, but I'm going to share with you the story out of uh, Luke. Luke's probably the most famous of all the Christmas uh, accounts. There's four of them we have in our, in our Bible, four biographies of Jesus. Luke tells one of them. And Luke tells his Christmas story this way. Um, this is beautiful. Uh, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> In those days, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, the Christmas story is the story of God entering into our world. Um, uh, uh, the Christmas story is a story of God uh, saying to us that he does not reject creation. He does not abandon creation. He enters into it. In all of, uh, in all of it, all of the brutality of our humanity, Jesus experiences all of it. Um, it is, the Christmas story is a really, you get the picture even in the story that we just read, that it's this really intimate story. You've got shepherds involved. You've got a pregnant teenager who's pledged to be marry, married, but she's not yet married. Um, this is a story that's kind of filled with this scandal. It's filled with this, we know the backstory, so we know the backstory of the virgin birth. But for the first audience, this is a scandalous pregnancy. And you've got Jesus uh, they go to uh, her soon-to-be husband's house for the census that's taken place, and the soon-to-be husband's house says, yeah, there's no guest room available um, to a, a, a pregnant woman, and uh, apparently there was enough shame around this pregnancy that even the family of Joseph said, you can sleep with the animals. And so they go sleep with the animals, and um, I, we talked about a little, little bit about this if you were here last Sunday, but it is... Uh, the story, the Christmas story, takes place in a cave with animals. The manger is a feeding trough. Um, and so you've got the smell of animals uh, mixed in with the Christmas story. It's a really intimate, it's a beautiful story. Here's reflection number one. What I want to do is I want to back up because it's possible with, uh, with the Christmas story that we can um, take this really intimate, small story and we can forget who our Jesus is. Um, that's, it's possible that we can do that. Uh, the, um, the classic riff is the, the, the Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby, right? Like, that's my favorite Jesus is the eight pounds, eight, eight pounds, six ounces, baby, balled up fist Jesus. Like, it's possible that we can almost, it's so intimate that it's almost so like, oh, we know babies. We understand that. But uh, we actually, when you zoom out and understand how, 
how the, the first Christians understood who Jesus was, not just in his full humanity, but in his full divinity. It's staggering. Uh, there's a book at the end of your Bible. It's called Revelation. And Revelation is, uh, the word revelation means unveiling or revealed. Uh, the revel- uh, revelation is essentially uh, the curtains have been pulled back and we see Jesus for who Jesus is. Um, the uh, Revelation starts... With these words, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, um, so John's the author. Uh, John, it, John writes this story, this revelation. He, he sees Jesus for who he is. Now, um, what's interesting about John is if there's anyone who knows Jesus maybe with the exception of Mother Mary, um, who really knows Jesus. But it's, it's John the Baptist and then the John we're talking about here. Uh, John is a disciple of Jesus. He walks with Jesus for, for three years of Jesus' public ministry. John is, um, John throughout it, he writes a gospel. The, the, we started this, this Christmas service with a portion of John's gospel. He writes an account of Jesus' life. And uh, throughout the gospel, John refers to him in an interesting way. Do you remember how John, anybody know how John talks about himself. He calls himself the beloved or this, the disciple that Jesus loved. I remember growing up reading John and then I, somebody said, oh yeah, that's, he's talking about himself and thinking, is John arrogant? <laughs> like, why you don't refer to yourself? If my, kid, if, if my three kids and one of them said, I'm the one dad loves, I'd be like, you are in timeout. Um, but like, is, is, is John being arrogant? Then I learned a little more about John. Here's what I didn't know about John. According to many historians, and it's now becoming the leading theory, John is the youngest disciple. He'll write Revelation 60 to 70 years later. So he is the youngest of the disciples. Some say he's as young as nine years old when he starts following Jesus. Do we have any nine-year-olds? You're nine. You're the age of John when he starts following Jesus. He calls himself the beloved. Why? Uh, it's almost like there's a father-son relationship between John and Jesus. It's like he, he under, Jesus treats John a little bit different. Um, in fact, John is the only disciple that makes his way to the cross. The rest of them scatter. John and Mary make their way to the cross. They see the whole thing. And there's this beautiful scene at the cross where Jesus, uh, from the cross, looks at his mom and he says, Mom, um, this is your son, John. John, take care of mom. Beautiful scene, beautiful scene. Um, he, so he calls himself the beloved. It makes sense to me now when I know he's my, he's my son's age. Uh, it makes sense to me, um, if that's true. Now, uh, John, so if anyone knows Jesus, it's John. John has this vision of Jesus when he's older and later in life. And he sees Jesus for who Jesus truly is. And this is how he records what he sees. This is verse 12 of Revelation 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet was like, were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the, sh- the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is John. When he first sees, he's, Jesus for him is the most human person he knows, right? Jesus is his friend. He's like a father figure. But when G- John sees Jesus for who Jesus really is, his response is, you're way bigger. John, when, if you read Revelation, he'll, he sees Jesus for who Jesus is, and he says again and again, you can persevere through this trial. You can make it through the trial. I saw the one who sits on the throne. He's bigger than whatever it is you're going through. You can make it through this trial. It's the bigness of, of, of Jesus that for John allows John to, to be able to stand through a trial and say, I know, I know his power. I've seen his bigness. There's a theme in your Bible. Uh, anytime anyone encounters God, they respond the same way. They respond with, uh, so John says, I saw him and I fell on my face as though dead. He's bigger, he's bigger. Um, that same kind of language is used uh, for anyone who has a, even a vision of Jesus. Uh, Job, uh, the book of Job, is, he, Job is described as the most righteous man on the earth at that time. Job sees, sees God for who God is, and Job's response is, uh, who am I? And uh, then you move on a little while later. Isaiah has a vision of God, Isaiah 6, and he has a very, I, I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips, he says. I, now I see that I'm not worthy of you, God, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes saw you. Uh, Moses begs to see God, begs God, can I see you? Can I see you? God says, Moses, I, I would love for you to see me, but um, it's too big, I'm too big. You can see where I just was. You can like see the backside of the place I just was. Now, um, I want to start here because I think it's possible that we, on Christmas of all days, um, we, have, we come into these kind of worship services and we have these lingering questions. We have these doubts. Um, uh, uh, virgin birth, like angels, like what do we do with this story? And it's possible that when these kinds of questions come in, in us, um, we tend to respond in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is, uh, we, for some people, we, uh, the, the mystery itself is, uh, it's too big. Unless I have all the answers, I can't say yes. I can't say, if you're, some of you are logical people, and it's like, unless I know how it all plays out, I can't say yes. Um, then there's the other group of people who will take the mystery and say, oh, no, it's much simpler than that. And we, um, we come up with propositions, and we, we try to, we come up with explanations. Like, this is what, this is what that means, and here's how that's possible, and um, we take the big God and we kind of try to jam that big God down into a series of rituals or practices or traditions. Uh, and so we take this big God and we, we, sh- we shove him down into something small. And then we wonder why we're bored. Because we just took a big God and we made him explainable. But what you find at the beginning of the Christmas story is a God who everyone who encounters him is opened up to awe and wonder um, you can try to conquer the mystery or you can simply stand back and say, wow, God, it's bigger. A God who can take care of that can take care of me. Um, there's a quote from uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, after the service yesterday, my son says, Dad, because his name is Abram Joshua Wilson. He says, Dad, is that where I got my name? And I was like, yeah, that's where you got your name, buddy. Um, he's, one of my, he's my favorite author. Uh, Heschel says this. He says, oh, this is a good quote. He says, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, 
to get up in the morning and look in, at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder, and he gave it to me. Uh, as Jared takes the stage uh, for another set of songs, um, our prayer is that we, this season, can um, step into wonder. Maybe you just need to be reminded that our God is bigger. Our, whatever it is your family's going through, whatever it is you personally are going through, whatever agenda items you have to check off, the God of the universe is bigger. Uh, the, so Jesus, like John has this vision of Jesus, and he sees that Jesus is way bigger. Um, he's way bigger than uh, what just this rabbi who taught that he followed but there's a problem with that, right? There's a problem with this bigness of God. So, so ideally, it opens you up to wonder. It opens you up to realize whatever problems before me, he's bigger than. However, the problem you find throughout the Bible is while that is true for some, the more dominant response for most is not awe or wonder, but fear. Um, people encounter God, and they're terrified of God. Uh, they, they, they see a vision of God, and they're terrified of God. God's so big that it's terrifying. Uh, in fact, so if you've been with us, we've been journeying through Matthew, and we are in our last week where we were uh, slated to look at the Easter story. We'll, we'll walk through the Easter story in depth at Easter, um, but there is a line in the Easter story that is in the Christmas story, and it was in the Revelation passage, and you find this line in a lot of stories, actually. Um, the line is these words, do not be afraid. The angels say, do not be afraid. Jesus meets John in Revelation. He says, do not be afraid. Uh, in the resurrection story, um, Jesus conquers death. And uh, we read this, uh, Matthew 28. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. It's like every, um, this is, by the way, every time an angel shows up in the picture, uh, on the picture in the scriptures, the first thing the angels always say is, don't be afraid. It's like rule number one of angel school. Like, that's lesson one. You got that down? Okay, we can move on. Um, but it's always, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Do you see the problem th that this poses? Okay, so the other thing that you find in your Bible again and again, from cover to cover, the most dominant metaphor that God gives to think of himself is Father. So God says, when, I, when you think of me, I want you to think of Father. Call me Father. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father. Father is the number one metaphor God gives for himself. Do you see the problem? If you're a parent, and every time you wanted to draw close to your kids, and every time you tried, your kids cowered in fear, what do you do? you're a parent and uh, you love those children, you will do everything to protect those children, but every time you, they see you, they're terrified of you. What do you do? Um, the, uh, there's a section in your Old Testament, and uh, you, you probably read this section or have heard this section. It's known as the Ten Commandments. Familiar with the Ten Commandments? There's something interesting in the Ten Commandments that's also a little bit sad. Um, uh, see, if you can, see if you can pick it out. Uh, the, pay attention to the pronouns. I'll just read a couple for you. See if you can pick it out. Uh, uh, verse 2 of Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What are the pronouns that God uses for himself? 
I, me, my, right? I, me, my. Okay, now, um, it flips. Verse 7, pay attention to the pronouns. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord, your, Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then in verse 11, for six, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested the seventh day. See, So you've got the first few commandments, God, it's I, and it's me, and it's my, and then there's a switch, and the next several commandments are he, and uh, him, and his. Now, um, that, that, was not, that detail was not lost on uh, biblical scholars throughout history, from Jewish rabbis to modern biblical scholars. They've asked the question, we've asked the question, what does, why does it switch? Why does a pronoun switch? It almost feels like God's speaking in the first person initially, and then somebody else is speaking for God in the second portion. Well, uh, it turns out, this is uh, right after the Ten Commandments, we read this. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Why the shift? Well, the um, biblical scholars have landed on, it seems, that the reason the switch is the people hear God speak and they're terrified. They stand at a distance. And so Moses has to step up and he has to finish it himself on behalf of God. When we come across things that are bigger than us, we tend to stand at a distance from them. They're, they're scary. Instead of wonder and awe being our response, we tend to stay at a distance. Um, again, imagine you're, you see the problem. Imagine you're a parent or maybe you are a parent. And you've got a kid, and every time you try to draw close to that child, they stay at a distance from you. You love that child, but they stay at a distance from you. What do you do if this is your dilemma? As a parent, what do you do? I can tell you what you would do, because you're good parents. Um, those of you who are parents, you're good parents. Here's what you do. If you have a book, and you're reading this book, and it's, uh, it's like advanced level reading, and your child wants you to read to them, you don't try to force them to read your book. You put down your book and you pick up Dr. Seuss because they can understand that. Um, if you're watching a show and it's a show you love, but you understand that that child can't understand this show and they want to watch a show with you, what do you do? You put on Bluey. That's my kid's favorite, Bluey, or whatever uh, your kids love and you, something that they can understand. You don't, as a parent, force them to understand you because the goal isn't to understand you. Your goal as a parent is to hold your child. Why does God do what God does? Um, because the goal is to hold. Why the Christmas story? I think the heart of this Christmas story is our God understands that somehow in some way he needs to hold his people. And the only way to hold his people is to be held by his people. He needs to enter into our world as a reject, as the, as the poorest of the poor, as an outcast among outcasts. He has to enter our world as somebody who will not produce fear, but as somebody who needs to be held. And this is how God woos us. That's the power of the Christmas story, I think. Um, I was uh, thinking about Christmas um, this moment uh, um, over the last few months, I've been doing a lot of reflection because I, uh, I turned 40 in a week and I, um, I hit my 10-year mark at, at South Harbor um, just in November. And so I've been doing a lot of reflection and I was thinking about all of the, 
the 10 years of Christmas Eves and all of the different things we've tried as a church. And um, the, the, so the first Christmas Eve here, I, uh, I, uh, maybe I shared this story. I don't remember if I did or not, but I um, was standing in the back. I actually was worshiping with, and I had to leave because I couldn't breathe. It was like somebody was sitting on my chest. Um, you ever, uh, don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but if you've ever had a panic attack, I had a panic attack, but I, uh, I, I couldn't breathe. And I, um, I tried to motion to Jared from the back of church, just keep going, keep going, because I don't know that I can get up on the stage. It, adrenaline does a lot of things, but I don't know if, if it'll pull me out of this. And I went to the bathroom, and I was like, okay, Tim, pull it together. And what I realized was I, was I was worshiping, and I saw all these kids, and I had written a sermon about Herod. And I looked at all these kids, and I'm like, I can't preach this sermon. There's, there's little children here, and it's a pretty gruesome, it's a gruesome sermon. I can't do this. And all of a sudden, I got in my head, and I was, that was, that was the first Christmas Eve here, and... Um, and uh, I, it's, it's a memory. It's a memory. Um, then for the next several Christmases, uh, on Christmas Eve, one of the things we would do is um, we did a, a couple services during the day. And then um, we wanted to make sure we had a service for those who were working during the day because retail stores are often open yet on Christmas Eve. And so we did a service at 11 p.m. And uh, it was, the goal was we'd do the service and then it would end at midnight. And we'd like, happy birthday, Jesus. And then we'd, we'd go home. And it was, it was uh, I was... 30 at the time and had no kids, and it sounded like a great idea. Um, and, and it was. It was actually a lot of fun, um, but I, feel, I look back now, and I kind of feel bad for Jared because Jared did have kids, and he was here all the whole time. What I've realized as a parent is no matter when I go to bed, my kids get up at the same time, and, uh, and that's Christmas for him. But um, we did that for a couple years, and uh, we worshiped at 11 o'clock. And then there was a couple of COVID Christmases, and I, um, I can't remember uh, exactly which one it was, if it was last year or two years ago, but uh, I think it was last year. We wanted, to, um, we wanted to make sure we had a worship service that everyone could attend, okay? So that was our goal. The goal, number one, was everyone could attend in some capacity. So we had online options, but we also wanted to make sure we had something that everyone could feel safe and comfortable attending. So we had uh, two services that were kind of like this, like just come as you are. And then we had a service that we really social distanced the room up and um, we had face masks and all that stuff. And then we, we realized, but there's still a group of people that, uh, that won't attend or can't attend um, or don't feel comfortable attending. So we decided, uh, well, how do we reach, the, how do we reach people that um, still aren't able to attend that? And so we decided, well, if we're outside, we're able to really kind of spread out as much as people want. And so what if we do a caroling service outside and... And so was, I thought it was a good idea because um, I had it. It was my idea. And we decided to do it. And two people showed up. Um, two people. Two people showed up. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's worth doing for two people. But here's the best part of that story for me. Uh, my favorite part is two people showed up, but there was a group of people that were in the church yet from a, a past service. And you all, just a point right at you, you all decided we're not going to let them sing carols alone. We're freezing, but we, we will go join. So we ended up with, like, 20 to 30 people singing carols because that missional community decided we're not going to let those two people sing alone. And so you all showed up and we sang and it's one of my favorite Christmas memories now. And uh, my hunch is, um, my hunch is that this year will be the Christmas memory we share is this will be the year of the blizzard. And do we go to church? Do we not go to church? Will the Honda Civic make it through the 64th? We did. We made it. Um, uh, But we have all these memories we carry together, right, over the course of years some of you were here since the beginning. Others of you, many of you have come along the way. Um, I was thinking, uh, so my first Christmas, like some personal memories, uh, my wife and I were new, we're new, uh, new to the church um, here, and 
Um, at, the, at that time, we were going through fertility treatments. I think I've shared a little bit of that journey, um, but we weren't able to have children on our own at that time. And, um, and so we were going through that whole process. And uh, I just remember at, like needing a church, and you all were my church. And then the next year, uh, we, um, I, my, my eight-month pregnant wife and I worshiped together. And, and uh, I remember um, realizing as I let you hold like, the belly and feel the kicking that this will be the last Christmas where it's just the two of us. Um, and, uh, and then our world's about to change. Now, I had no idea how much it would change. Um, uh, kids, I don't know if you realize how much your parents really love you. Because um, I don't know that we can explain it to you. Because it's, it's really hard to put words to it. But um, the best words I heard someone try to put to it was, it feels like your heart leaves your chest and walks around among you. And, uh, and that's what it felt like um, when Abram was born in January. And then two years later, uh, we, uh, I say we, but Liza gave birth to our daughter, um, Joanna, on December 18, so a week before Christmas. And I got this, I got this incredible memory of um, being in the, my in-law's basement, and there's a party upstairs in this one-month-old little, or yeah, one-week-old, um, one sorry, one-week-old little baby uh, is sleeping on my chest, and I'm hearing the party and the laughter and everyone's doing the Christmas thing upstairs and uh, I'm holding her. Um, and it was, it's actually one of my favorite memories. Yet, you ever have the sense where it's like you, you have these memories that become the memories that you hold and make up your life, but at the time, you don't know that they're gonna be the memories? It's just Christmas and I'm not upstairs, but you look back and it's like, oh, I wouldn't trade that memory for the world. Um, and then uh, a couple years later, my daughter, Lara, came into the world, and she was born in June. So uh, she's Lara June, that's her name. Um, she's born in June, but she is the most Christmassy of all my kids. Um, she, every day for a month, uh, my daughter asked me every single day, um, is today Christmas? Every day, is, is today? And today, when she woke up, she said, is today Christmas? And I was like, she screamed, it's Christmas, right, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, it's Christmas, baby. Um, and we got to go, and I got glitter-bombed, and we got to open presents, um, we have these memories, right? We have these stories that we hold around Christmas. There are painful memories in there. That first Christmas carried a lot of pain. Um, there's a lot of painful memories around Christmas, loved ones who aren't at the table. Um, but I was just I was stepping back and thinking about all of our memories together, all of my memories, and what I realized is I think that part of that is the point. I think that God needs us to know that the way we look at our loved ones at Christmas time the way you look at your children, the way your children look at you, that that's how our God longs to look at us. When you strip it all back, he does not long for just us to stand at a mountain at a distance and see how powerful he is. He is powerful. But I think our God, at the end of the day, he wants us to know how deeply he loves us and enjoys us. Here's, um, here's the, the challenge, should you choose to accept it. As your act of worship... As your act of, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you at Christmas. Look into the eyes of somebody that you love this Christmas. Make that your act of worship. Be reminded in that moment that your God looks at you with those same kind of eyes. Only if we take the Bible seriously, which we do, his love for you is even bigger, if you can imagine that. Abraham Joshua Heschel um, said these words. Our goal, Heschel says, should be to live life in radical amazement 
to get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked God for wonder, and he gave it to me. My prayer for you this Christmas is that your Christmas day, but not just, don't just let this be a day, that this next season of your life is so filled with wonder and awe at the bigness of a God who can carry it all and at the intimacy of a God who longs to be held and longs to hold. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, <clears throat> uh, I pray for every single person here, Lord. We, um, we don't know what each of us are carrying, but we all, we all know, Lord, that we carry things. And so, Lord, we pray as a church for anyone in this space this morning who's carrying painful things or hard things or heavy things or lonely things um, or scary things or depressing things, or anxiety-inducing things. Uh, Lord, would your bigness um, show up in this moment? Would you remind them that you are big enough to carry it with them or for them? And then, Lord, uh, for all of us um, who are in a space this morning where we just need to be reminded that you, um, your biggest gift to this world is yourself. Uh, Lord, would you help us to receive that gift? Help us to know again and again, Lord, that you are a God who loves us each personally. And Jesus, we love you back. And we pray this in your name. And again, everybody said, amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays, you can join us in person at 9 and 11 or online at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.